Hello and welcome to Automotive Insights Refinish and our latest podcast episode. The Automotive Insights Refinish podcasts are focused on highlighting the very latest trends from the vehicle refinish industry and bringing you the valuable opinion and knowledge of experts from within the market covering a variety of topics which are currently influencing the sector. In this episode, we're going to focus on the area of skills. And once again, pleased to be your host. My name is Graham Trofel. I'm Global Key Account Manager within Vehicle Refinish for Axon and Bell. Hopefully, you'll know who we are. But to give you a very brief introduction, we're a global leader in the paints and coatings market. Specifically relevant for today's audience is the vehicle refinish sector. Our history takes us all the way back to 1792 with brands such as Sickens, Lessonol, and Dynacode, which are hopefully all familiar to you. Outside of the industry, well-known brands such as Dulux International, we're headquartered in the Netherlands, and we're active in over 150 countries and employ over 33,500 very talented people. As our topic for this episode will be skills, I'm pleased to welcome you to our expert guests, who have an, an absolute wealth of experience and knowledge of the skills landscape. Dean Lander, Head of Repair Sector Services at Thatcham Research, and Stephen Reed, Global Technical Marketing Manager at Axel Nobel. Dean, I'm going to first of all ask you to introduce yourself and Thatcham. Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Graham, and, and thanks for the invite to be here today. Um, so Thatcham Research um, are an insurance-funded research centre uh, in the UK and a founder member of ARCAR, the Research Council for Automobile Repairs. Um, my role at Thatcham as Head of Repair Sector Services um, incorporates quite a broad spectrum, but one of the key, um, the key pillars of what we deliver into the marketplace is training for technicians, engineers and apprentices across the body repair skills area. Um, and that's ho hopefully looking forward to a great conversation about how we take that forward to the next stage um, across the globe. Thank you, Dean. And I believe congratulations is in order because um, I saw and it was widely publicised in our industry press how Dean actually won a, uh, a, a nice accolade of a Knight of Knights Award, the recent ABP uh, Industry Awards. So well done. Well yeah, earned as you. well, I must add. So Very humbly. Fresh, fresh from the red carpet, I believe. Very humbling, and there's a big team of people behind me that make it possible to get such an accolade. It's not It's not all about one man. You know, Dean, that's like almost rehearsed, just like a Hollywood star, yeah? Picking up an Oscar. Exactly the same. It's not about me. It's about all of my, uh, you know, my entourage. It's fantastic. Thank you, Dean. Um, so, industry skills, big topic, um, a real big animal to, to face. And it's something that for many, many years we all talk about. I mean, industry skills are obviously key to what we do within the vehicle refinish sector and the body and paint sector. Um, when you think about, you know, the key to any good body shop, to any good repair, is really about our labour, you know, and ensuring we have that right level of technician. And when we when we look at skills today, I mean, you know, I look at the modern vehicle, I look at the technology on the modern vehicle. I, rem I recall my days of being in the workshop where we were dealing with quite basic technology. 
And today, you know, we're faced with really, well, you know, what is really a a, a very high technology product, which is, is you know, in, in all of our discussions, certainly with our own customers, um, is always a big challenge. You know, it's, it's a real issue for them about how they're going to fulfill this challenge going forward, how they're going to make sure that they've got the right level of knowledge and skills to ensure that the customer's car can be repaired uh, both safely and to a high standard. Um, to start this conversation off, um, I'm going to hand over, first of all, to Dean. You know, you're, as you say, Thatcher, are at the heart of the industry. You are really around bringing forward the skills for the future. And Dean, maybe you could just give us some insight, first of all, around how you see this sort of skills requirement as it currently stands. Yeah, sure. Well, look, we've got um, vehicle manufacturers across the globe are all... Um, Running to pretty much the same innovation agenda now, and it, and and, it, and it's got it's got a broadly recognised name as ACE, automated, connected, and electrified, and that's the description of where their R and D efforts are being applied. Um, if we start with the automated bit, there's no such thing as a as, as an automated car on our roads today. Um, legislation globally does not allow for a car to drive itself. However, the advancement in driver assistance systems are making it more uh, are making it more and more reliant on the car doing some of the activity um, to support the driver. Driver still still has to be there, but with autonomous emergency braking, adaptive lane keep systems, um, blind spot uh, detection areas. The car's filled with sensors now that are looking and, and, and monitoring its environment, its external environment, and, and helping the driver navigate through these very busy roads and motorways. If those sensors aren't working properly, um, the car is going to act in an unfamiliar way for a driver, and therefore it's not just about it's not just about calling the MADAS systems and saying the driver's always to be in control. If post-repair that car acts differently from its pre-accident performance, the driver's going to be caught unaware and unfortunate you know, circumstances and incidents of, of further collisions can, can occur. So there's one really important skill set that, globally repairers have to get to grips with that you know five years ago wasn't really on their agenda um you look at electrification globally and and and, and it's just massive we're expecting the uk government to announce this week that it's bringing a ban on combustion engine vehicles forward from 2040 to 2030. that's literally less than 10 years away, no new pure combustion engine vehicles on UK will be sold at dealerships in the UK. That's bringing into the, that's bringing into the repair community this completely different risk. Then the repairer is not used to dealing with voltages that kill people. Um, and that, you know, that, that finally, we haven't really started to consider how the connected car will impact on skills in the industry. And I think we 
all need to do a great deal of work and reflection to understand how that connected vehicle with its over-the-air updates, with its ability to change the software during um, ownership and change the performance criteria and the features of a vehicle during ownership is something that we really all have to kind of take a hard look at and work out what is the impact on the skills agenda for the yeah, I think some very valid points there and, and, you know, technology without a doubt is driving a lot of this. And when we talk about, you, you talk there around, you know, almost touching on new skills required going forward, you know, a big topic that we often see and we often discuss is around, you know, actually where is this future sort of technician going to come from? You know, are we getting enough entrance into the industry? And is that really going to fulfil this need, this need for the future? Um, at this point, Stephen, I, I think you know, with an axe on the bell, is something that's very close to us in terms of how we ensure that we 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 help our customers and help the industry for the future. Is there anything you see from your perspective um, around you know and have an opinion around this lack of new entrants coming in? Yeah, thanks, Graham. I think. Uh, the the vehicle repair industry has had a, uh, a a poor perception, a poor reputation, as being one of those industries that is not so high tech, as Dean says. The industry is moving uh, very quickly, technology wise, uh, and and if we think about uh, young people, especially coming into the industry. Um, they're influenced by many people in terms of career choice and, and what they want to study and what they want to do with themselves in the future. Um, and, and in addition, at the moment, there are so many different choices around how people can build a career. You know, the gig economy is very strong. You know, that freedom to be able to decide when you want to work and when you don't want to work. Simply, you log on, you log off. Um, it, it might not be such a, uh, a, a career base that we as older people in the industry are used to, but it's a way to earn very good money. Um, and, you know, be you a, a YouTube influencer, be you a Uber Eats delivery driver, um, be you a travel blogger, whatever it is, uh, there are careers around of interest to young people these days that we never, ever had the choice when we were thinking about a career back a couple of decades ago. So I think one of our jobs in helping our industry stakeholders, be them, be them OEMs, be them vehicle repairers, be them insurance companies, is to make the industry as attractive for new entrants as we possibly can. It's, it's highlighting the technology. It's highlighting, highlighting the challenge as a technician. It's highlighting how high tech this industry is and repairing cars is actually very different than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago and how there's a real technology challenge uh, in calibrating these vehicles to the standards that the OEMs require to put them back to pre-accident condition. It's a very high-tech work uh, and there's a real career challenge here and I think it's up to us as industry partners to, to help make the industry as attractive as we can to get its fair share of new entrants into the industry that are interested to join a, a high-tech and modern industry. Yeah, I think very, very, very valid points. And I think, you know, first of all, we have to consider as well that attracting new entrants, getting young people into the industry, um, 
while it, while a challenge, you know, in a lot of initiatives, and we'll talk about that a little bit later and look at maybe some of the some of the things that are um, helping us move forward and and bridging the gap to some degree. But then also, I think, you know, we suffer a little bit from this industry from the right perception and, and looking at things like career development. Um, Dean, you, you know, you are, you see a lot of learners, a lot of skilled people coming through Thatcham, I imagine, within the training centre, um, certainly with, the, the, you know, a level of competence already in existence, but looking to career, you know, develop their skills even further. Where do you see sort of, you know, the position on career development within the sector? Today, I'm just a, a technician, but maybe I've got aspirations. I want to move forward. And, and do you think as an industry, we are, you know, we have a bit of a challenge there around, do we really give a clear uh, career path, you know, that can provide a nice uh, future for um, technicians? Yeah, definitely, Graham. Um, I can I can certainly speak to the UK market, and we've got some tremendous career stories to tell. We've got owners of their own body shops that came from an apprenticeship. We've got directors across the insurance sector that came through a body repair apprenticeship. Um, we've, we've got the headman at Altex here in the UK that started as an apprentice. You know, these are tremendous career stories to be told, but we don't necessarily have the right channels with which to portray those stories to, to the young people. Um, definitely, it's an industry made up of small businesses, and small businesses are struggling to build a reputation locally where they will attract that talent from where they're generally competing in, in urban areas and major cities they're competing with FTSE 100 companies to try and attract young people and and trying to build a local reputation is very difficult for a body shop it's not the sort of business where you generate and de develop repeat custom most people only visit a body shop once or twice in their lifetime um, and that I think that's the big I think that's a big challenge for the industry. That said, I think we've got a fantastic opportunity with the technology that's in front of us and the digitization to really kind of promote the sector in a much better way. And where that is happening with the professionalized body shops, the group body shops here in the UK, we're certainly seeing a great attraction to the industry. We're seeing hundreds of applicants per vacancy um, and, and Thatcham are supporting the repairers that we work with in their recruitment processes to help promote those vacancies and I think that's what body shops need. They need the support of industry leaders like Axo Nobel, like Thatcham Research to help those smaller body shops promote their business to attract the talent because the talent's there we just need to let them know what a fantastic and exciting industry this is. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, like like yourself and, and, and Stephen, you know, we've all been around the industry for quite some time. We've got a lot of experience. We all started, you know, you know, our careers within this industry and through and, you know, we, we've had a good career out of this. 
And, and I think like many, many people out there, this industry provides a great career to many. And I think perhaps, yeah, we, we maybe don't always promote that enough. I think now with technology, you know, especially we look at today, social media and all these sort of things, digitalization and so on. I think it does, uh, you know, provide a platform to amplify this message and then certainly get out there. Stephen, I know, you know, you've got a lot of global experience, having worked across a lot of many markets out there. Um, I think how, you know, what do you see there around career development in our sector? Yeah, thanks, Graham. I think one of the things I, I absolutely see, especially across Asia, where a big chunk of my experience is, is, is we don't there have the advantage of having uh, centralised apprenticeship or centralised certification systems that are typical in, say, the US or Australia or the UK with, you know, IMI, ICA uh, or a trade qualification. So I think it's incumbent on us as a key industry player uh, to play a part in, in those sort of regions and to help set some standards to help the industry to build the base skills uh, that are often in the past just learnt on the job uh, and bad practices get handed down all the time. And we get a lot of demand from our training centres across Asia, uh, especially from the OEMs, to run courses uh, that bring the technicians up to a, to a solid standard, even just for the, the basic skills that would be learnt in, uh, in trade school. So I think that's that's something that uh, all the industry players can really play a part there. We can all do some heavy lifting and really help as the car park in these developing regions continues to grow quite strongly, as the middle class grows, as you know, owning a, a, a motorcycle and then owning a car is a real aspiration for many of these families is to make sure that we can bring our learnings from the mature, mature markets and really embed some really good, solid, basic skills into these regions. Because the newer cars, as Dean talks about, with uh, ADAS systems will go into these regions as much as they'll go into the developing regions. So we must have the basic skills, the understanding of the technology and the support from industry players to be able to repair them to the same standard. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, for sure. And I think, you know, there are um, initiatives that we're aware of around the world, you know, that are, that are underway to, to help sort of develop and bring young people in. And I think also to develop the existing skills, especially in some of these emerging markets. You know, I know, for example, my uh, our colleagues in India, you know, they had a great initiative uh, that's been running for, for a couple of years now, which has been around going out to, you know, to fulfill and help body shops really fulfill their needs for in terms of getting talented paint shop staff. You know, they would go out to the the areas outside of the main cities, outside the main conurbations, and they would actually go out there and hold these sort of sessions with potential new painters for the future. You know, these are are basically the age group that have come out of school. You know, so so fulfilling then and actually moving and bringing these guys, giving them the training, showing them really what the industry is around and actually helping create a career for them. Now, you, you know, that's I think these sort of initiatives, it's not just unique to ourselves. I mean, it's, it's something we take quite seriously. But I think also, you know, Dean, I'm sure you have seen a lot of this type of initiative as well, you know, in your travels around the world. And. I think it's it's out there. I think we don't always promote it as much as what we should. 
but I think a lot of these things are out there and I think a lot of it is around coordinating it. Stephen, to take your point, yeah, you know, it's about mature organisations taking responsibility and, you know, embracing this and moving it forward. You know, looking to bridge the gap as such or, or to help fill this, this sort of area. Are there any sort of innovations or how is technology helping? Is there anything that you guys see, you know, out there that, that has really stood out to you or initiatives that are underway? Uh, Dean, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this one over to you first. There certainly is here in the, U in the UK, Graham. Um, so we've, we've got a couple of not-for-profit or charitable-type organisations operating in the UK around, uh, around the automotive body repair sector. Um, so one of them called School of Thought, which is a bunch of ambassadors across the country that will go into schools um, and present the automotive industry for what a fantastic place it is. Um, identifying those career path opportunities into the minds of, of, of school children, that it's not just become a mechanic or a, or a panel beat or a painter, that actually there are massive career opportunities across the sector. Um, there's Auto Raise, um, a charity specifically focused on fixing the skills crisis here in the UK in the body repair sector. The skills crisis here in the UK is probably not too dissimilar to the rest of the world. We probably have enough technicians, but the average age of those technicians is said to be around 48, where in other engineering disciplines, it's, it's, it's more like 38 to 40. So that's quite a significant sort of generational gap in the, in, in the skills needs for the industry. And if we don't do something to fix that now, we will really be suffering in five to, five to 10 years time. So autoraise are all about attracting people onto apprenticeships in the UK. Um, again, a fortunate mature market with well-established apprenticeship programs with significant government funding behind it. So if those two entities, along with the body repair sector itself can create the vacancies, um, one thing we do have here in the UK is a very competitive uh, training um, sector. So the training capacity is there. Um, the vacancy and awareness is building in the industry being brought around by auto race and school of thought are in the schools ensuring that young people are aware that this industry exists. That's, I think that in the UK is actually that kind of stellar North Star that everybody should be looking at and going, how does that work? How do we make it work in our country? How do, how do we develop that across multiple nations where we can see very often the same skills crisis either already occurring or very close to the doorstep across those, across those multiple nations? Thank you, Dean. I mean, it sounds like some great initiatives underway there and um, been a little bit familiar with some of these as well. So, so it's great to see that these are going to help the UK market, certainly. But I want to turn a little bit and have a look at a, a global perspective because this is a global problem, yeah, the, sk the skills that we require for our industry. I mean, technology is everywhere, markets, even all the mature markets. It's something that's very consistent to all of us. 
So at this stage, I just want to want to ask Stephen. You know, Stephen, you've got a lot of experience from a lot of various markets around the world. You know, is there anything that you see happening out there that's a really positive of you know skills development for the future? Thanks, Graham. I'll just circle back to India for a minute. You mentioned before. Uh, there's a really cool initiative that we're running there where we bring in uh, out-of-work youth, uh, some local villages around our Bangalore facility where we have some virtual reality equipment there. And so for four to six weeks, we give them the basics of uh, spray and, and half of that is done on virtual reality equipment. And then they move into the spray booth after that. And then they go back to the village as a basic qualified uh, spray painter. And I think what's good about it is I was visiting them a couple of years ago down there with one of the classes and and the young students got most uh, enjoyment out of using this high-tech gaming equipment, as they call it. Uh, it. It's something that they would aspire to, to have one of these units at home. But they they see that almost as much more interesting than really spraying the, uh, spraying the car. Um, but what it does is get them in the door. It gets them over the hump of walking in the door. And I think if we talk about any STEM-type industries, it's very much whoa, about whoa, whoa, getting... Whoa. The... Can, can I stop you there? You mentioned this word STEM-type industry. What What's STEM? Well, I think it's well known around the world that science, technology, engineering and mathematics as industries, as areas of interest, areas of study, has had a real difficulty in attracting people in recently. And I think whatever we can do, whether they're basic skills that we really need across uh, lots of parts of our automotive industry, we, we need to make those acquisition of those skills much more attractive to people that are bombarded by all the different interests out there. So if, if we can make learning of those principles, the STEM principles, more attractive, more interesting, uh, more contemporary uh, and more cool, if you like, um, then we get people more interested and then we can really get them in over the threshold of then looking more into a career in this type of industry. If you can just uh, allow me to mention one other example in the Netherlands where many of our body shops around here have had trouble attracting uh, um, attracting technicians or potential technicians in is simply putting one of our virtual reality units in the body shop for an open day uh, and then we get the parents, the aunties, the uncles drag along their 16-year-old school kids and they go, have a go at this. And, it, and again, it gets people to have a look at something they would never have experienced before. And it's almost like, hey, I can come to work and play a game in painting the car. It's just like playing the, you know, the, the game at home. And again, it's just breaking down the barriers of getting young people interested in these types of very cool careers that are coming up in, in our industry. So I think it's about everybody working in their own way um, by making uh, STEM-type um, uh, careers more interesting for, uh, for young people. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, that's, you know, I've seen this myself, actually, um, when, when visiting different markets that, you know, virtual reality, and I've seen this at some trade shows, you know, where actually... It's, it's really of interest, especially to the youngsters. You know, when they see this, they put the headsets on to paint, you know, a panel. And, um, you know, even having a go myself, and, and by, by no means it was confirmed that I am no good painter from this, the results from it. So it certainly highlighted some, uh, <laughs> some training needs in myself. 
and I'll never profess to be to that level. But I mean, it was great to see youngsters, you know, visiting trade shows with the parents who are obviously already maybe working in the sector and great to see them getting hold of a spray gun, you know, okay, virtual reality spray gun, but actually having a go at this type of thing. And, and it's wonderful to see, you know, so I think more of this, I think hopefully that, you know, digitalization now and VR and, and AR and all these types of things are all, all the buzzwords as we see at the moment. I mean, um, you know, where do we see technology helping us in the future? Um, Dean, I'll, I'll sort of throw this one over to you because I know you're very uh, technology focused. And um, what's your sort of, you know, where do you see technology helping to create this this platform for the future for the new skills, but also upskilling as well the existing uh, technicians in our industry? Yeah, Graham. It's, it, I think some of the, I think some of the advances that that, that organisations such as your own Axo and Bell are making in the in the virtual reality space for painting, I think they're I think they're fantastic and they have a great place to play um, in in future training programmes. Um, I, however, that that said, I don't think augmented reality is 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 yet ready to kind of take our sector by storm. Um, certainly in Thatcher Research, we have been on a journey towards a blended training approach. Um, but I think it's got to encompass, I think it's got to encompass many different tools, channels um, to make it work. Um, and, and we've got to make it very learner-centric. Um, the big challenge around blended learning is I've, and, and we've seen it. Uh, we've seen it across the globe to some degree. Is is the cho the chosen channel doesn't necessarily work for every learner. Every individual has their own preferred learning style, whether it be kinetic, whether it be audible, whether it be visual, and and a learning learning program really does have to take all of those into consideration. So it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing for a business to move to. Um, and it's not something we're going to see training organisations uh, move to very quickly. The level of investment for a training provider to get to that position um, is, is not insignificant. Um, start with e-learning. That's a, that, that's, a, that's a big step change. Um, virtual online classrooms, that's a big step change. Um, you then bring in all of the kind of tools that you need to bring into that video capability, um, along with uh, developing ebooks and, and online quizzes and gamification. It's 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 there. The capabilities uh, and possibilities are vast, but for a sector that's very focused on the technical part of of STEM. Um, we're teaching people across the globe to use tools and equipment safely in a very hazardous environment. And therefore, I don't think you can ever get away from the fact that that in-person training with an instructor and delegates is always going to be an essential part of any blended learning program for, for, for the automotive industry. Yeah, thank you, Dean. I mean, some key points there, and, and, and you're absolutely right. 
I suppose in an industry that's very, you know, practical based and really requires a lot of hand skills and understanding how to use equipment uh, competently, but also, you know, efficiently as well. You know, this is always a big challenge. It's not always about having the basic skills. It's also about getting the best, you know, from the knowledge that's in your technicians and, and from the training that you invest in. You know, certainly for employees, I, I think, you know, for body shop owners, it's key that they get the very, very best out of any investment they make into training. And this blended approach obviously, you know, makes it accessible. And I think, you know, Stephen, over to you really for a little bit of insight from you into, you know, what's a sort of global perspective there. We deal with a lot of emerging markets. You, you know, is blended learning, is it the right fit for these markets? Is it wholly practical in these markets or... Are they going to be more, you know, fully digitalized? What what would be your sort of experience and opinion on this? Thanks, Graham. I really see there being two things to talk about here. One, absolutely agree with Dean that learner-centric is critical because people do learn in all different ways. And we see many learners wanting to take control of their own journey. So really, as information providers, it's about us making the information accessible for them and they learn in a way that suits their learning style. And that's often not sitting in the classroom for five days in a row and listening to an instructor. We also see from a business owner's point of view that they want to get value from their employees' learning as well. And so for them, sending a technician away for four or five days to a course sometimes isn't the best option for them. So we really think about it in two ways. We think about knowledge and information that we try and provide in many different ways where a learner can decide how they can best acquire that knowledge, be it via lots of short videos, be it via e-learning, um, be it via sometimes a traditional sit down and listen to a, a classroom teacher, depending on if, the, if that makes sense. Um, but really the practical skills need to be attained once they've got that basic knowledge so they understand what's happening and that often needs to be done practically in a training environment. So we're seeing that a course that might have been three or four days could be chopped down to maybe two or three hours of e-learning in as many chunks as the learner wants to chop it up in and then maybe a half a day or a day to really validate the practical parts of that in a training centre or in a in a training school or in a body shop. So I think it's about providing options. It's still maintaining the integrity of the information, still maintaining a proper skills assessment at the end of the practical activity because that's really what the business owners want. But we need to be mindful that we can't simply take away technicians from an operating business. They still need to keep operating their business successfully. So keeping that in mind, as well as looking at the, the new way that learners want to learn, which is in very short chunks, they have very little patience for sitting down, watching something for an hour. Um, so we, we need to be flexible, but keep in mind um, maintaining the high standards of the learners when they're finished that uh, particular module. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. I mean, that's some, some really key points there. I think going back to the business perspective, you know, investment in training has always been a big challenge, you know, that people look for this, uh, gaining the maximum. I suppose if technology can help this and especially help develop skills in emerging markets as well, you know, it's it's going to be a real big positive, which is good news for everybody, really. And I think it is going to always be a blended learning approach, you know, just from a, 
my own sort of view from you know my own experience of, of the, the sector you know they still like to to know that the guys are competent at the end of uh, any any training so they can you know make sure that they can repair the car safely fundamentally and also to a high quality so i think actually you know this blended learning approach is as dean said really you know is always going to be the way forward i don't think as an industry will completely sh shift to uh, you know becoming fully digital but it's a hands-on industry and to some degree having practical skills and then combine that with technology is a real good way forward and i think the more people you know the more accessible that technology makes training i think that's a great positive as well you know so this is a, this is a good news all around um i won't touch on you know covid is sort of the big topic at the issue and we we've stayed away from that in this in this thing but Everybody talks then about technology being driven by COVID, but I actually think, you know, many of these initiatives were well underway uh, for the past several years. You know, I know from our own business that, you know, the way we've moved forward our, our training courses and Dean also for, for Thatcher, and I know with your e-academy and things like this. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of positive things going on out there in this industry. I think it's our job to sort of amplify that. I mean, we're not going to achieve that today just in one podcast. But I think if, you know, more and more people take this seriously and move it forward and realize that this industry really is going to depend on its skills moving forward, that the focus has to be on, the, on you know, really training and education and, and attracting the right talent, you know, for the future. So, you know, hopefully some good success stories out there that we're going to see over the next few months. We'll certainly do our best to sort of highlight these and make sure that we promote them. But, you know, at this point, to bring this sort of to a conclusion and really get your your final thoughts, really, on, you know, where where you see your own organizations, perhaps, or where you see the industry heading for, you know, the next, the short to medium term. Um, Dean, to put you on the spot. As an uh, industry award winner, you should be able to have this uh, polished off. I mean, I'm sure you've you've been practicing your speeches before this this fantastic accolades. Yeah, thank you. And and, and as you as you as you pointed out there, you're quite right. We we at Thatcher have been on a blended journey um, trajectory for some time now, with the investment in our own learning management system, Academy. Um, we've 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 driven that across all of our curriculum um apprenticeship technical training engineering training and it's and, and it's and it's going really well covid has definitely pushed the accelerator pedal um with that and and towards our blended learning approach and where we are now, we are really on a journey of evolution rather than revolution because the revolution has already occurred. We've expanded and improved our e-learning tools um, and content, uh, really in an attempt to ensure the learner can focus on the subject matter. One of the things we've been heavily focused on is in a, in a sector that's not well known for being IT savvy we've tried to ensure that our tools our channels to deliver training are as intuitive as as possible to prevent the learner from having to think about navigating through the system and allow them to immerse themselves in 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 the learning um, we're investing significantly on the capability to conduct um, 
virtual classrooms, online classroom sessions. And by that, I don't mean a Zoom school. I mean the actual ability to have an immersive classroom where the delegate and the instructor, although remote from each other, are able to truly interact, able to take tasks and complete tasks and breakout sessions, able to interact and during practical demonstrations. We're really taking that to a position where it is all as close to a delegate and instructor being in the same building as we can possibly get that position. As I say, the key theme of it for us is immersive training. Every course or program is designed for the alert for the learner to immerse themselves into the subject matter and get everything they need out of the course. As we did this, the great thing about it is it's exportable. So we're heavily engaged in it today in the UK. During the whole of COVID, we've kept a significant proportion, over 90% of apprentices on programme, developing and continuing to learn, even while we've been under significant restricted um, processes. Glad to say we're now back open as a training facility, so we've got some apprentices back on site. But we're now looking at that technology and that advance and that investment and thinking about how we can export it. Uh, we're taking it into Australia with our partners there, into Malaysia with partners there. We have had a long um, history and relationship in Saudi Arabia around skills development in that area. So I think as soon as you digitize and as soon as you go web-based, the exportation of that um, knowledge is, is, is vast. The capability to export it is vast. And I think the only challenge that we will have is the infrastructure in a particular country and the language. If we can resolve the infra infrastructure problem in English-speaking countries, we have all the materials and all the content and all the knowledge coming direct from our research centre into the hands of, of, of repair businesses anywhere in the world. The only challenge we then have, and, it, and it's not an insurmountable challenge, but it's a big one, is language. Um, it's very difficult to translate technical language across or all the various languages across, across the globe. But that's where we are now today, We're very much down the journey. We've got our learning management system and our e-learning material. We've invested in our online classroom capability. We are uh, investigate. We are tech scouting and investigating the latest technology to allow us to get into virtual classroom delivery. Um, and we will blend all those things together. So not one tool on its own will work in any place. We need we need them all to work absolutely in unison. Thank you, Dean. That's really a, a great insight into, you know, what is always a you know positive and proactive uh, story going forward. I'll uh, I'll turn it over now to Stephen to to sort of share the same. So Stephen, same question to you. Where do we, uh, you know, from a very focused refinish perspective, you know, where do where are we looking ahead? We're focused pretty heavily over the last couple of years on developing our core e-learning content. Um, uh, around a global framework of what we see as being a, 
core skills for a vehicle refinish technician. And we're very much moving into the implementation phase in local countries at the moment. And we see the same challenge with uh, local language. Uh, and so that for us is a key part of uh, implementing in those jurisdictions where e-learning makes sense. And, and I think taking that a step further as well is blending that program uh, alongside the existing hands-on training in our uh, 40 plus training centers around the world. And, and in those countries, many of our trainers, many of our technical support people, many of our distribution partners uh, really have some great knowledge and experience in developing this training in a more traditional way. Uh, so we think it's also partly uh, a change process internally for us is to show uh, how we can still provide a very high quality of training where it is very much blended between online delivery uh, and some hands-on skills attainment as well. So uh, as well as making sure we can get the content out to our uh, the industry people that, that want to be trained, it's very much helping our own people internally as well in learning new ways of delivering some very important technical information. Um, we're also working very strongly. We believe virtual reality technology is a fantastic way, certainly when it comes to spray application to build the core skills. And in many parts of the world, uh, as I said before, where there's not necessarily a, a solid trade training program, Many technicians or potential technicians come to us. They may have been detailers, they may have been body people where they really don't know how to spray paint at all. And at least 50% of the work of spraying a vehicle is the basic physical control over your body, over maintaining speed, maintaining distance from an object. And, and virtual reality uh, spray training is perfect um, to help build those skills in a safe, uh, cost-effective environment, essentially you can build a second or third virtual spray booth for the cost of one traditional spray booth. So we really see that technology can help build those practical capabilities in technicians in a very efficient way. So we've already got seven units around the world in our different training centres and we believe next year we'll, we'll put some more units in so we can really help uh, at, at the base level of skills attainment, but also in the uh, the knowledge sharing as well via more digital uh, digital processes as well. And I think more than anything, just in closing, it's flexibility of delivery. It's having good solid curricula. It's knowing the the knowledge that needs to be transferred, and being flexible. Um, to meet the needs of the learners in how they best learn to make sure that at the end of the day we get very competent, well-qualified and motivated technicians that see this industry as a place that they want to have a career in. Well, gentlemen, I think that brings us to an end on a great note. And I would like to really thank you very much for sharing your, your views and your knowledge with us. Subject is very important on a global level and it's clear there's many initiatives underway which look to address this. Again, thank you very much for your expertise and taking part in this Automotive Insights Refinish podcast covering the area of skills. 